On this week's edition of New York Now, lawmakers in Albany finally pass a $229 billion state budget. We'll tell you what's in it and what's not. Plus, a new edition of On the Bill. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. After more than a month of pushing the deadline, New York finally has a state budget. It's a $229 billion spending plan, which is $9 billion more than last year. And all that money will go toward a lot of things. Most of it is funding for schools and the state's Medicaid program. And despite it being a month late, legislative leaders and Governor Hochul say they feel good about where things wound up. Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty on Tuesday. Um, I, you know, I would say when you take out, uh, you know, some of the policy stuff, I think this checked a lot of boxes on the things that uh, the members of the assembly support. Um, you know, maybe not at the levels that the members would have liked, but I would say this is probably, this might be the best uh, non-pandemic budget I've seen in my 23 years in the assembly. Lawmakers finished passing the budget Tuesday night, and it had a lot of the changes we've been telling you about. So we're going to go through each of them and tell you what Governor Hochul wanted at the start of the year and what actually made it into the budget. On the minimum wage, Hochul wanted to tie future increases to inflation. Lawmakers ultimately agreed to first raise it to $17 downstate and $16 upstate over the next three years. And then all future increases will be tied to inflation. On cigarettes, Hochul wanted a higher tax on each pack and a ban on menthol. Lawmakers agreed to the tax hike up to 535, but rejected the ban on menthol. On charter schools, Hochul wanted to lift a state-imposed cap to allow more of them in New York City, but lawmakers rejected that and instead will allow 14 inactive charters to be reopened. On income taxes, Hochul didn't want any changes this year. Lawmakers wanted higher taxes on the wealthy, but couldn't reach a deal with Hochul. So income taxes will stay flat this year for everyone. On fossil fuels, Hochul wanted to phase out the use of gas and oil in new buildings. And that is happening. Fossil fuel hookups won't be allowed for new buildings with less than seven stories starting in 2026. For larger buildings, it's 2029. But there are exceptions for emergency generators, hospitals, and commercial kitchens. And on bail reform, Hochul wanted to give judges more power to hold defendants before their trial. And that's what she got. Lawmakers agreed to remove the least restrictive means standard for decisions on bail. Democrats largely supported the budget, allowing it to pass. But Republicans were opposed, saying the spending plan doesn't do enough for struggling New Yorkers. Senate Minority Leader Rob Ort. They say good things come to those who wait. Certainly from my vantage point, New Yorkers should have to wait a little longer then, because I do not see this as this budget as a good thing. It does not move the state forward. It does not put us on a path to success. But Democrats didn't get everything they wanted either. Governor Hochul's massive housing plan to create 800,000 new homes over the next decade was dropped from the budget after she failed to reach a deal with legislative leaders. They were against the mandates in the plan that would have required localities to grow their housing stock.
but there is about a month left in this year's legislative session. So Hochul and lawmakers could still do something on housing this year. But when asked if that could happen, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins said they may need more time. I think even if we address it again next year, I want to think that we would have put the requisite pieces together so that when we're addressing it next year, we're actually addressing it with some sort of uh, stakeholder-aware uh, plan that we can actually get this thing moving. But that doesn't mean Hochul's housing plan is dead. With big issues like housing, sometimes it takes a few years to get to a deal. We've seen that happen over the last decade with things like the state's minimum wage and funding for education. And Hochul said this week that for her, the issue of housing will be a priority as long as she's in office. This is a movement that is long overdue to recognize that people have a right to live in all communities, that there are rights that go along with being a New Yorker, and it says you should be able to find a home that you can afford to pay the rent or pay the mortgage. And that, that right is so far out of reach for so many New Yorkers, that's untenable. So that is going to be my commitment uh, throughout my entire duration as governor. And let's start there with this week's panel. Anna Grolnwald is from Politico and Nancy Roy is from Newsday. Thank you both for being here. So with the housing issue, it's really interesting. Um, we were talking to the Senate Majority Leader this week and the governor this week, and both were asked about housing and the possibility that um, because they threw housing out of the budget because they couldn't get a deal, that maybe they could try to work towards something by the end of session. Um, Nancy, I'm going to start with you. How do you, is that realistic, do you think, in, in the next month? Usually with these big items, I don't see it that way. But they've also been talking about this since February, presumably. Yeah, I, I don't think it's very likely at this point. I mean, look at it this way. She unveiled it in, like you say, in February, February 1st. They worked for three months or so and couldn't come up with something. And now they're going to magically come up with it in four weeks. Right. Probably not. Um, you know, there's the, the session now ends at the beginning of June. There's not that many actual days in Albany. Um, so the likelihood of them, you know, fixing all the, the different issues and disagreements with this in that short time frame seems unlikely. And then look ahead next year. Next year is an even number year, mm -hmm. uh, an election year for all the legislative officials. And you kind of wonder, is that the year that it's likely to get fixed either? I, I don't know. Sometimes uh, election years are not the years for controversial policy. So maybe it skips all the way into 25. I don't know. Right, especially in 2024 when we're talking about those elections. I mean, one of the big issues with this was the perception of an infringement on local authority, basically over how they want to do their housing. So I don't know if that would work out so well for local lawmakers if they did include Governor Hochul's, the part of her plan that would have required housing growth. And not only is it in a, uh, for state assembly and senators yeah. next year, but I think congressional delegations, especially in suburbia, uh, might not want these kind of issues on the table when there's going to be a presidential election. Maybe that's how George Santos wins re-election. <laughs> he goes against the housing plan. And can you remind us where kind of the roadblocks were for housing as it fell apart? Like, where, why didn't, why couldn't this come together, you think? I think there are a couple of issues, and I'm sure a lot more that we haven't heard, but um, one of them was that there was so much time taken on trying to figure out a bail deal. And that was something that Hochul said she was very specific about getting done. And I don't know that you could say she sacrificed her housing plan, but it was something that she wanted to finish before anything else went forward. It sounds like they were working on kind of one issue at a time, mm -hmm. and nothing was really done until everything was done. 
So if there weren't those conversations before the plan was unveiled and even during the budget talks, it's not really a surprise that they couldn't figure it out in a couple of weeks. And, you know, we, we did ask legislative leaders and the governor kind of like, you know, this is a month late. Is that frustrating? Was it worth the wait? And they gave a very nice canned answers of basically, you know, we had to work for the right budget, not the on-time budget or not the timely budget, however you want to phrase it. Um, do you see that as genuine? Like behind the scenes, do you think lawmakers are just, they don't want to deal with this governor at this point? Well, I don't think that there's, um, I don't think there's necessarily anything good about a late budget. I right. think everyone can say that it's really, in all in all, it's not affecting the real lives of New Yorkers by being a few weeks late. But it is the one thing that legislators are supposed to do that they have a timeline for that they knew about every year. And um, it does, as some of um, Hochul's predecessors would have said, it does point to a government that can't get things done when they need to get them done. Overall, that's not a great perception, even though leaders and Hochul have said it's not that big of a deal. You know, we've been talking about housing and bail for so long that I think it's easy for us to forget that there's a lot of other stuff in the budget. This is a $229 billion spending plan. Um, and I'll start with you here. Uh, what stood out to you here? I mean, there's a lot in this, as we were talking earlier in the show. But, you know, a lot of very important things that impact a lot of people. Definitely. I think that there are a lot of things that the Hochul administration and legislators will be able to sell pretty nicely over the next couple of months. Um, there's a minimum wage increase, and it's not quite as high as some people uh, would like it to be, but that will change people's lives. There's an expansion of child care for um, a lot younger children. That's hundreds of thousands of more kids who are going to be covered. Um, that's, a, that's going to be a huge difference. And unfortunately, we've talked about these very, very small policy issues that few people really understand. Yeah. Um, but those will have impacts, and they should over the next uh, couple of years. Yancy, what about you? What stood out to you? Well, you know, looking at it politically, uh, Hochul did lose on the housing plan, but she did win on some other things. She got a change on bail, which she wanted. Um, she beat back any push for tax increases on the wealthy or on corporations. She had said that that was kind of a non-starter for her, and she did win that. Um, Democrats in suburbia won on some issues, uh, MTA payroll tax, housing, bail. But as Anna said, there's thousands of issues in this thing. I yeah. mean, one of the things that uh, we covered and the New York Times covered, uh, you know, uh, a new law that describes how to handle uh, unmarked burial grounds, especially for Native American tribes, mm -hmm. but also maybe Revolutionary War burial grounds. Very important. There's, there's all sorts of other little things. There's a... Uh, uh, authority for uh, uh, Suffolk County to finally get a countywide sewer district, which is an amazing, really huge issue they down didn't there. Have one? No, it's been piecemeal. Goodness. It's local, oh, local, no. <laughs> yes. local jurisdictions uh, all governing different sewer and septic systems. Now they can, the voters will have a referendum to put together a countywide system so it's more integrated. So those are like the little hidden things that go into the budget that don't you know, uh, drag down negotiations, and therefore we don't write about them as much, but they're very important to the locals. Absolutely, and I, I hate to go back to bail reform, but I think it's important in this context in the, the way that they didn't get to some issues because they were discussing bail for several weeks. We saw the same thing happen last year. The governor, in, in that case, the governor brought up bail at the last minute, and that's kind of what kept things from, from moving forward. They made this change to bail this year, Yancey, but do you think that it continues to be an issue in the state, in politics, until I don't know when. Well, absolutely. I mean, look at it this way. Uh, the Republicans have found it to be a winning issue in campaigns, and you, you can't realistically expect them to give that up. They will keep 
banging the drum on this issue because they say they want a full repeal. Uh, a full repeal will probably never happen. So they've been chipping away at little changes here and there. The Democrats will say, we changed it to give judges more discretion. Republicans will say not enough. And so mm -hmm. in terms of electoral politics, yes, I think it continues as an issue. I think so, too. I think especially next year when when I think Republicans are really going to try to make up some ground in the state Senate where they were not able to last year. I think that's really where they want to really win some seats for sure. Um, we have about two minutes left. So we have four or five weeks left of the rest of session. I want to ask each of you, we're going to be watching in that time. You know, like so much was done in this budget. And there's so little time that I really don't know what they can do. But, Anna, I'll start with you. What are you watching? Um, like we discussed, I think that there will be more conversations around housing. I don't think that people get too, um, too much further on that. And I think those conversations will continue for, like Yancey said, weeks, months, years, maybe. Mm. But I think... There will be pushes. I don't know if there's anything that they actually have to get done. In previous years, we've seen um, laws sunsetting or things that they would need to get passed before end of session. It's really kind of open to how we might want to move forward next session is the yeah. sense that I get. Um, and I think there will be some talks about potentially some more criminal justice or public safety issues. Um, I know that the uh, Clean Slate Act, which would seal some records for people, has been in discussions. But whether or not there's movement on those, I think, remains to be seen. And Clean Slate is such an interesting one because it has come to, it has been so close to passing for two years. The first year, two years ago, we were told as reporters that it was technical issues. That's why the bill didn't pass. Then, for whatever reason, the next year it didn't pass because it no longer had the support. I guess there was an election in between, but it just, something did not feel totally honest about that situation. Um, Clean Slate, I think definitely, Carl Hasty, the Assembly Speaker, said that they were going to try to address it before the end of session. I'm not holding my breath based on the past few years, but we'll see. Um, Yancey, what are you watching over these next couple of weeks as we kind of wrap this up? You know, the thing about Clean Slate and some of these other controversial things, why they get wrapped into the budget is because the budget is so has so many thousands of issues, it can yes. provide a little cover for your vote in the budget. I voted for school aid. Not, I don't really support clean slate, but it was in there. Um, and, and really, some legislators don't want this as a standalone issue because they are sometimes afraid of how it might play out politically. And because of that, I think, kind of like Anna said, I, I think we're going to look at a lot of little local issues that are important to counties and municipalities and big overarching policies. Probably not too much down the stretch here. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, if they bring up housing again next year, I, as you said earlier, I still don't know if it happens. And especially with a plan like how the governor was trying to put forward, it's such a big plan. 800,000 new homes over a decade, trying to figure out a way for housing to grow in each locality without you know, making them mad, basically, because that's what Tank did this time. I think that's a challenge, is trying to figure out how to either incentivize or mandate them to do it. But we are out of time. There is plenty to talk about. Anna Grunwald from Politico, Yancey Roy from Newsday. Thank you both. And for more updates from the state capitol, sign up for our new newsletter. You'll also get early access to every week's show before it airs. Find that and more on our website. That's at nynow.org. But turning now to a new edition of On the Bill, where we tell you about a bill out of Albany that you might not hear about otherwise. This week, we're talking about A3226, also called the Birds and Bees Protection Act. It's a bill that would ban the use of corn, soybean, and wheat seeds coated with neonicotinoids, a class of pesticides, also called neonics. 
and it's based on a report from Cornell University from three years ago. They basically looked at a bunch of research on neonics and compiled it all in a report. And that report found that using neonics had mixed results. They're generally effective at keeping pests away, particularly for field crops like corn and soybeans. But the report also said that neonics can sometimes have a devastating effect on pollinators, bees in particular. Researchers looked at 96 sets of data on neonic exposure in field crop settings. And based on that data, they found that more than half the time, exposure to neonics is likely to impact the physiology and behavior of bees. And about a third of the time, they're likely to impact bee reproduction. And that's why some lawmakers want to ban the pesticides. In New York, Assembly Environmental Conservation Chair Deborah Glick. The bill is limited to coated seeds. And there are invasive species, there are targeted reasons to use certain chemicals in certain instances. But this casual, routine, prophylactic use of these chemicals on seeds for wheat, corn, and soybean has created damage. But farmers who use those seeds say they don't have an alternative because using neonics has become the norm, they say. Finding enough untreated seeds would be really difficult. Remember, we're talking about seeds for those huge cornfields you see on farms all across upstate. Jay Swede owns one of those farms. If I could get untreated seed for what I need to do, then my question is, how do I manage through these pests? And I don't have an answer for that either. And so I'm kind of stuck in a position where I really don't know. I don't know what my options would be, especially a pest that we don't know it's there until it's already done its damage. We'll let you know if that bill is passed this session. But we're going to circle back to the budget now with a closer look at the numbers. Patrick Orecki is an expert on the state budget from the Citizens Budget Commission, or at least I think you're an expert. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So we see this increase in the financials in all funds. And when we say all funds, we're talking about state funding, federal funding, all the money that's in the pot, mm -hmm. increasing from 220 in last year's budget to 229 in this year's budget. $9 billion is a lot of money, um, but out of $229 billion, kind of a small fraction of that pie. Is that an average increase, the $9 billion that we've seen? Yeah, I think it, it, it's a, that's a little bit bigger than average. Usually the all funds growth will be 4 or 5%, so that's pretty much right mm -hmm. in, in that exact range. There's a lot going on in the financial plan, kind of puts and takes right now, though, with a lot of federal money that's been around since COVID, response money, uh, and, and new spending coming in. So there are a lot of puts and takes. That's interesting, because I remember in last year's state budget, the big thing was we have all of this federal money. It's going to run out. we got to use it. But we're, we're still increasing spending this year. Do we still have a lot of federal money to use or that could be coming in in the future? Yeah, there's, there's probably not more coming in in the future, essentially, but there is still money, especially from the American Rescue Plan, the, mm. the state and local fiscal relief. State got about $13 billion of that to use over a four-year period. So we're actually still using that. There's still a little bit, in fact, in fiscal year 2025 for that as well. And I remember when we were talking uh, last year and then in last year's budget, too, uh, when they passed last year's budget, the governor made a big deal about it being a um, neutral budget. What, what, what do I say? It wouldn't have a deficit in four or five mm -hmm. out years, I think. Mm -hmm. um, 
It, it, is that the case still in this year's budget? I don't know if they even looked that far, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it, it is not the case. It, the okay. short answer is no. So last year when the budget passed, it was, it was kind of incredible that we had five years worth of budget balance yes. over the life of the state's financial plan. I don't think that's ever happened since financial plans started. So it was kind of incredible. That was really short-lived. In fact, it was over the summer last year that state said, you know what, the tax receipts don't look as good as we originally thought over the coming years. So gaps opened up in July last year. Okay, so it's that is that's a situation that was created since the last budget. Yes, and that's tax receipts, as in like they're thinking less income taxes. What what's the shortage of revenue that they're expecting? I guess. Yeah, the biggest piece of the pie is personal income taxes for New York State. So that is the single largest source of state-generated revenue in the budget. Yeah. It can be very, very volatile, especially because New York State has a very kind of progressive uh, personal income tax code. Movements at the top income brackets and in capital gains can cause pretty big shifts in the overall kind of receipts forecast. And I would assume that's probably the hesitancy in the Hochul administration of raising taxes on high income earners this year. I know that that is that's a part of it. And you probably have the number of um, I think it's like the top one percent of earners generates the top 50% of revenue or income tax. Am I making these numbers up? No, it could no. just be making these numbers up. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> basically it. Yes, they're essentially the, the top 1% of personal income tax filers funds about one in $5 that the state spends from, from state operating funds mm -hmm. overall. So it's a huge amount of money that comes from a relatively small uh, number of taxpayers, which means that you can get, again, big swings in those numbers year to year. Something, and I know that you're still looking through the budget, so it's okay if you don't know this, but I think something that a lot of people will be wondering is, are there any new costs for me in this budget? You know, like we're not raising income taxes on anybody in this year's budget, but there are sometimes some kind of like hidden fees in places of the budget. Do we mm -hmm. know if we should expect any new costs for New Yorkers with this? Yeah, I, I think there are two sort of big things that we would that we would call attention to. One is an increase in the payroll mobility tax, specifically right. within New York City. So that's that's a tax that already exists. The state is just increasing rates in New York City on employers based on their their payrolls to generate new recurring revenue for the MTA specifically. Yeah. The other thing is uh, not a, a tax policy action by the state, but sort of a cost shift from the state onto local governments. Mm. So local governments pitch in several billion dollars for the Medicaid program every year. State is changing, it's, this is a pretty complicated mechanism, but the nuts and bolts is shifting about $700 million in costs from the state onto counties in New York City. Do we know why in terms of the, the shift of it? Is, does the state have a reason to be doing this or is it kind of just we want the money. <laughs> I, I think that's that's really the primary reason is that it, it shows up on the state's books as about $700 million in savings. State doesn't have a big savings plan in, in this budget or in most budgets. So this is a big area where they're decreasing their own spending, opens up opportunities to spend elsewhere, but it does mean that that cost just has to be picked up at the local level. Yeah, let's talk about the spending, the expense side of this budget. Um, you know, when we talk about the budget, I think looking at it in a, a big picture kind of way is really important because um, some people may think $229 billion, it's going towards a lot of things. As I mentioned at the start of the show, it's really in two big buckets, I think, education, health care. Um, is that still the case in this budget? I would assume it is, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When and, we look, yep. and that's schools and Medicaid primarily? 
Yes, Medicaid being the single largest thing. So that is, over the next few years, getting upwards of $100 billion total between the, the state and federal funds. So that's the single biggest program. And then school aid is, is number two right behind it. Between those two things, that's more than half the budget alone. And the Medicaid growth, is that kind of average this year compared to previous years? I know that's a, obviously a big part of the budget. So I think when it grows, people pay a lot of attention to it because if... I don't know, the legislature or the governor or the Department of Health is doing something that, you know, would increase the cost. I think that's something to pay attention to. Yeah. So yeah, there, there is significant growth there for a couple of reasons. First of all, is, is policy actions taken, the state increasing reimbursement rates, especially for hospitals. We also have significant costs in the long-term care space. That's always been growing pretty quickly. Mm. Um, one thing that's happening, though, in the Medicaid program specifically is that there is over a million people that enrolled in Medicaid during COVID because of federal rule changes that allowed people to stay on the program longer. Over the next year or so, those people are going to start to shift out because those oh. COVID provisions ended. So again, there are kind of puts and takes, but there is still significant growth in Medicaid. So as those people come off, the cost should, I don't think significantly, but would go down a little bit for the state? Yeah, it is fairly significant. I mean, we're talking about a million people moving oh, okay. out of the program and the average cost of, of these individuals is probably ten to $12,000 a year. So everyone who moves out of the program the state is reducing Medicaid spending by that much. They're moving into other programs, some of them into public programs, some of them into private coverage. We have about a minute left. Just beyond those health care and education buckets, is there any other spending actions here that seem out of the norm or something that the public might be interested in knowing about? I, I, there's, this is a very big piece, 10 pieces of legislation, so there's mm -hmm. a lot to go through. Yeah, the other, the, sort of the biggest fiscal question mark outside of those big buckets was what the state would do about the MTA. So the MTA is in a really difficult fiscal position right now. It has been for, for years, but really exacerbated by COVID driving ridership down significantly. Mm -hmm. So we knew there was going to be some state support for the MTA. Turns out that the package that they came to is this about a billion dollars in recurring revenue from the payroll mobility tax that I mentioned earlier, and a few other sources of, of funding too to try to get the MTA back to, to long-term balance. It's a huge issue, especially for people in New York City in the metro area, but we are out of time. Patrick Orecki from the Citizens Budget Commission, thank you so much. And uh, thank you so much for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well. Funding for New York Now is provided by WNET.